Good morning, Hillsdale, Michigan, and to all our listeners across the country and around the world. I'm Ben Dietrich. You're listening to American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We're coming to you live from our studios in Hillsdale, Michigan. Along with me in the studio this morning is Andrew Nell. Thank you so much for listening. We are glad to be with you here on what I think will be the last episode of this fall semester. So thanks so much for staying with us. We're going to take you through... um, a lot of things today. We're going to give you a quick imp- update on impeachment, what the president's been up, in, been up to, what Hillary Clinton recently said in an interview with Howard Stern that's been raising eyes. That just happened yesterday or maybe two days ago. And uh, we're going to talk about all that. And then we're also going to talk about some startling news that life expectancy in the United States is actually decreasing. And the left and the right have been quick to jump to conclusions as to why that is. Some on the left are apt to say that it's because of access to health care. Um, but the numbers seem to tell a different story. As it turns out, it seems it's middle-aged and younger people that are driving those life expectancy numbers down. We're going to talk about that later in the second half, as well as the fact that it is Hillsdale College's 175th anniversary. Um, so I have a lot to say on that. That'll come later. First, though, let's get to what has been happening in Washington, D.C. The circus continues. We're going to start off with a clip from in the impeachment hearings yesterday as Representative Matt Gatz, um goes after some of the witnesses. Let's hear what he had to say. Of the United States. So let's see if we can get into the facts. To all of the witnesses, if you have personal knowledge of a single material fact in the shift report, please raise your hand. And let the record reflect no personal knowledge of a single fact. And you know what? That continues on the tradition that we saw from Adam Schiff, where Ambassador Taylor could not identify an impeachable offense. Mr. Kent never met with the president. Fiona Hill never heard the president reference anything regarding military aid. Mr. Hale was unaware of any nefarious activity with aid. Colonel Vindman even rejected the new Democrat talking point that bribery was invoked here. Ambassador Volker denied that there was a quid pro quo, and Mr. Morrison said there was nothing wrong on the call. The only direct evidence came from Gordon Sondland, who spoke to the President of the United States, and the President said, I want nothing. No quid pro quo. And you know what? Right. If wiretapping. Well, and, and actually, you know what? Let's go ahead and play the end of that there. He says something about wiretapping. We want to talk about that, too. A political opponent's an impeachable offense. I look forward Gentleman's to reading that inspector general's report because maybe it's a different president we should be impeaching. Gentleman's time. Oh, boy. So Matt Gatz out there, Congressman Matt Gatz, he is upset. He's PO'd, so to speak. And I'll tell you why. You know, he made a reference there to wiretapping at the end. This is actually getting a lot of traction. Um, it was in the Wall Street Journal editorial page. They covered it this morning in the paper. If you get them, check it out. Basically, uh, you know, Adam Schiff's group, his committee, has released their report on what they recommend to be the um, impeachment charges that they should pursue against the president. And in that report, oddly enough, they take a considerable amount of time to focus on phone calls they obtained, the, the transactions, the records of phone calls that they obtained through their subpoenas that um, basically goes after other members on the committee. 
So rather than keep his investigation exclusively focused on the president, he has chosen to point out that members of the Republican caucus um, had phone calls with, oh, my gosh, the president and, uh, oh, my gosh, Rudy Giuliani, because, you know, there's no point in trying to obtain two sides. If you're trying to obtain two sides, then clearly uh, you're not a fair arbiter of justice, I guess is what Adam Schiff is trying to say. So this is upsetting a lot of people because the very fact, this is kind of an unprecedented thing that a committee would basically use their hearing to, instead of going, you know, going after their their objective, which was to determine if the president should be impeached or not, he's literally shamelessly decided to make this a political, um, a political move to go after just other members on his committee. Um, You know, any Republican sitting there apparently is up for targets and uh, deserves to be attacked in Adam Schiff's mind. Why is he doing this? You know, why go to such extreme lengths? Um, Well, you just heard Matt Gatz explain the obvious, which is that, you know, they don't really have much. Every single witness that's gone up there, that's been called on by the Democrats, didn't really bring any hard evidence to, you know, to validate their theory. The only real thing that you get from all of these witnesses is, well, I heard this, you know, we were told the president was pursuing, um, you know, this policy and, you know, I rushed to judgment to assume that this was wrong. You know, I, I, you know, they ask questions like, how did this make you feel when the president decided to do this? Oh, I felt terrible. And, and then, of course, um, you know, they had this other witness that has been getting the news, uh, this university professor who was talking about, uh, she used a pun about Baron Trump. And she said something along the lines of, oh, well, you know, the president may think that uh, he can make his son a baron by calling him baron, but <laughs> he can't do that. He can't, believe it or not, Article 2 of the Constitution does not let the president do whatever he wants. This is ridiculous because what she's referring to is the president at one point uh, made a joke um, about what you know he can do in terms of the constitution, and they they read this stuff right out of you know out of context. These are humorless people, humorless people, and if they're going to take every single literal thing that something somebody says and run on it in an impeachment hearing and as a, as a reason to take somebody out of office, and you know, boy, they. Republicans had it right when they said that these guys wanted to impeach Trump before he even took office. Because if you look at half the things this guy says, I mean, yeah, you take it all literally at face value, you're, you're going to reach some different conclusions. But the American people elected him, um, acknowledging a lot of the things that the president has, says and things he jokes about. If you go to one of his rallies, then um, he does it all the time. He tells jokes. He's sarcastic. He posts memes. You know, at the Rocky Four, after the Rocky Four anniversary came out, he posted that picture of him, um, you know, his face photoshopped into a, a Rocky outfit. And then that, you know, drew people that, that threw the, the liberals in kind of a crazy whack. And then they were complaining about how he was playing golf over Thanksgiving. Next thing you know, he's actually in Iraq um, or Afghanistan, excuse me, Afghanistan this time. So. That's that's what you got happening in Washington D.C. There, fun fact: um, this week they they determined on Google that the searches for impeachment versus a story about 
um, a sexist spinning bike machine. The sexist spinning bike story got more searches than impeachment. <laughs> and what, what is the breadth of this, this second story here? Um, basically, that some company decided to market a spinning bike towards young women. Um, and the you know dad buys this bike for him, his wife and his kid. Um, and uh, this really upset liberals because it's sexist to say that um, women prefer the use of spinning bikes. So, you know, any targeted demographics for uh, appliances, I guess, is or any type of equipment is wrong. Now, of course, this has its roots, and, you know, they refer to the 1960s commercials that show housewives um, buying household appliances. And, and, and granted, you know, that stuff does perpetuate um, a lot of the ideas that, you know, they do claim that, that um, validate uh, a time period in which women, um, the commercials really were marketed to support the idea that, you know, women work in the kitchen, stay at home, yada, yada, yada. I'm not condoning that or saying it was good, but I don't think that you can expect a company to change the way, you know, if, if one key demographic prefers their products, you can't just claim sexist every single time. So, you know, if you market, market a pocket knife to Boy Scouts, that's not sexist. That's just the people most likely to buy the product. And, and you know, frankly, I don't think that saying that women prefer spinning bikes oppresses women in any ways. But if you disagree with me on that, please reach out to me. I'd love to have the conversation. I'd be happy to hear um, what you think about that that issue, which I think hopefully we can agree is a non-issue. I mean, do we really have to waste our time talking about that much more? You know, the point at the end of the day is that Americans just aren't really caring about what's happening with regards to impeachment. And you know what else they're not caring about is what, you know, the media has been making up more non-stories about what the president has been doing overseas. Um, now, there was a bunch of news, in case you missed this, guys, about how first Justin Trudeau in a clip um, was caught, you know, on a hot mic, so the camera was far, far away. We'd play the clip, but you, you really can't make out the audio that well. They have to use subtitles. And basically, it's Justin Trudeau talking with Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of England, um, and as well as Manuel Macron. And they're asking um, Trudeau, what took you so long to get to this reception where they're drinking their fine wines and their suits and their palace, you know, <laughs> as leaders do, I guess. And he, he's, you know, with his pretty face, has to say, oh, well, you know, Trump, he doesn't use Trump's exact word, uh, name, excuse me, but he does say, you know, well... That guy, you know, went off on a press conference for 50 minutes and they, they talk about that and they kind of joke that that's crazy that he would talk that long to the press. Um, and, you know, this suddenly goes on the media. It goes viral and carried by some networks as these guys were trash talking Trump. First of all, I didn't really get that sense from watching the clip at all. Yeah, maybe they were joking about the fact that he had a long press conference, but it's not like they called the guy baboon. I mean, you just don't. You don't get that from actually listening or watching to the clip. Now, Trump goes back on in a press conference with Angela Merkel. Of course, Angela Merkel looks like she's in pain the entire time or if she's constipated. I don't, I don't know. But uh, I'm sorry. I'm just being honest. That's kind of the resting face for her at these days. Um, then we know she does not like the president that much. Um, and, and I have something to say about her and the other leaders at this conference. But the point is in this clip, 
the, the headline of this clip is Trump calls Trudeau true two-faced. They love to perpetuate this story that there is this ongoing feud between these leaders. Look, I don't think these guys love each other, but the idea that they're like trash talking each other at this conference has completely been fabricated by the media. And, and I love this because when you go to these, some of these events, this is what you notice is they take a line and they run with it because it's, it sells paper. That's it. You know, it gets clicks online. Let's hear what Donald Trump actually said. The two-faced comment, which takes like two seconds, and then the rest of what he said about Justin Trudeau in response to this so-called video that has angered him. Um, let's hear it. Well, he's two-faced. Do you think that Germany is too nice? And honestly, with Trudeau, he's a nice guy. I, I find him to be a very nice guy. But, you know, the truth is that uh, I called him out on the fact that he's not paying 2%. And I guess he's not very happy about it. I mean, you were there. A couple of you were there. And... Uh, he's not paying two percent, and he should be paying two percent. All right. Canada, so we know money. we know that this has been a big issue for the president. He wants the members of NATO to pay the amount of defense spending that they agreed upon when they entered the NATO deal. He wants Germany to pay it. He wants Canada to pay it. America pays well over two percent of their GDP towards defense spending. These other countries don't do it. This does not make the news. The part of Donald Trump, you know, after he says, oh, he's two-faced, and then he continues and says, you know, but he's a nice guy. That, does, that doesn't get into the story because that doesn't sell. And so, you know, you have to understand the whole story here. And, and, and look, I think this thing was whole widely overblown, but I will say that the impression I got, anybody that watches this, any American, uh, you know, viewer that watches it, if you're in the heartland, if you're part of the Trump voting community or if you just live in the middle of this country and you're, you, know, you don't already hate Trump, so maybe, maybe you even live on a coast, I don't know, but you're not a Trump hater, then watching this stuff, I think, makes me like the president more, to be honest. He doesn't use super harsh words going after these guys. Okay, he calls them two-faced. I don't think that's that insulting. I think it was pretty accurate to the way that Trudeau conducted himself. But you know, the, the, the point is here, you have all these other leaders walking around, you know, sipping their wine uh, in these palaces. And, you know, they can't stand the fact that President Trump would dare talk to the media for 50 minutes because they want to get to their cocktail hour. Like, give me a break. (laughs) I mean, Donald Trump was elected because of the fact that, you know, he was supposed to break up the swamp. And this sense, you know, in, in even these globalist communities, where they come to these conferences and they, you know, Donald Trump's priorities and his interests that he believes he's serving the American people defer greatly from these other countries and they can't stand it. They can't stand the fact that he won't go along with their Paris climate pact, you know, and they can't stand the fact that he wants them to pay more. And so to watch this all go down, I think it's great because what it reminds Americans and what the media doesn't realize when they play this stuff is that Americans aren't stupid. When they see this stuff, they are just reminded that the president is still standing for their interests. He's still holding Trudeau and Merkel and Macron, you know, to the fire. And he's not afraid to tell them what the American people feel. And he's not going to cave to them so that they can have a nice cocktail hour, I, I guess, is, is the point of that. So, you know, that's happening Meanwhile, I want to talk about the polls real quick. If you're in Michigan listening, by the way, you're listening to American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. I'm Ben Dietrich, Radio Free Hillsdale here. And uh, John James, doing pretty well. New poll um, out, and it says that he's virtually tied with Gary Peters. It actually had him leading a bit, but uh, it's within the margin of error. 
And Gary Peters, the, the senator at the NRSC, their National Republican Senatorial Committee, has famously joked, <laughs> nobody knows who this guy is. You know, is he a state senator? Is he a congressman? Nobody knows. Uh, he's not doing so well and fighting off the, the John James, you know, element that's coming. We're going to try and talk to him in the spring when we, we come back. So um, stay tuned. We always, you know, manage to get some good interviews with him. But uh, he's doing well, which is really important because if the Republicans want to, you know, increase their Senate lead, hold on to it, flipping a seat like Michigan could be extremely helpful. The Senate map going forward in 2020 is not going to be as friendly to Republicans as it was in 2018. So any seat that they can flip is going to be a big, big deal. Now, in terms of Trump, you know, in impeachment, this is this is the other aspect of this story that you got to remember. And, you know, one, one thing we talked about with Henry Olson were some of these polls. And in Wisconsin, I want, I want all of our listeners to be fully aware. You know, Wisconsin is a state that the Democrats need to win back if they, if they want to, you know, hold on to this. Uh, you want to win the election in 2020. It's a state that Hillary Clinton lost and never visited. Now, Donald Trump's approval rating right now in Wisconsin is 47%. You know what it was when he was elected president in 2016? 35%. That was his favorability. And today it's, it's 47%, not approval. I'm sorry, favorability. So, you know, the fact that it's over 15 points higher when they recorded this poll previously, I think is pretty telling. Trump now even leads Biden in that state, up three points. Whereas just a couple weeks ago, when impeachment started, or months ago, Biden led Trump by nine points. Now, in national polls, you know, you look at polls like the Emory Report poll, which granted was one of the ones that was more favorable towards the president. But, you know, I like to look at how these polls change rather than, you know, maybe the specific numbers, because I think the changes in them over the weeks is probably the best, most illustrating way to look at them. Uh, the president, um, his approval rating is up uh, over four points from when this poll was last taken in October. Um, so in November, the end of November, he was doing much better. Um, it said that most viewers were watching impeachment, but now uh, the majority of viewers don't support it. And we, we saw that change in the, in the polls. Um, Trump is either tied or beating Biden, Buttigieg, Buttigieg, Warren. And the only one that has a one-point lead over him is Sanders. And, and, you know, all of these polls, they usually predict the president losing. I mean, that really worked out so well for them last time. But the fact that they're, you know, even remotely close and that they're showing support moving towards the president. And you, and you got to look at the specific demographics, independents um, especially, just do not support this. It's not good. Now, Hillary Clinton went on the, uh, the Howard Stern show, and that's getting a lot of attention as well. Um, so we're going to play a little bit of this, and then we're going to go to to the break as well. Um, I want to play uh, a quick clip of her talking about running for president um, because, you know, that these guys aren't doing so well. So the Democrats, I mean, if you, you know what, if, if you're going to, the, the only people, the only person that's been leading these polls consistently has been Joe Biden, and he's had a crazy week. We'll tell you how he's been in the, in the news, but first let's hear Hillary Clinton on why she thinks that she should run again or, you know, why she won't rule it out. Where are you? Are you saying, forget me? Is that your mantra now? Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) So, 
if she goes on. The rumor mill is flying that yeah, you I could that. you could step back into the ring. Yeah, I I um I hear that. I I especially have been deluged in you know the last few weeks um, uh, with uh, thinking about uh, doing that. But right now, I'm not at all. Uh, you know, planning that. Um, I'd have to make up my All mind right. really quickly uh, because it's moving uh, very fast. But I do want to continue to influence the debate. All you know, right. I'm not- so, you know, <laughs> Hillary Clinton still believes that she is the best chance for the Democrats to win. And uh, she's not ruling out running. But if this stuff continues, let me show you what the reason that she, she thinks that this is the case. Real quick before we go, I want you to hear Joe Biden um, and his little gaffe earlier this week. I saw that made me aware when I was in law school, proudly for Holloway, proudly for your dad, first African-American state senator in the state of in the state of Delaware. Everything about. And by the way, you know, I sit on the stand and it get hot. I got a lot of I got hairy legs that turn that 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 turn what uh, um, blonde in the sun. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down so it was straight and then watch the hair come back up again. They look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. Nobody nobody is following the vice president. I haven't heard one person justify this clip. We played a bigger part of the beginning of the clip because we wanted you to hear uh, the context because I always wondered, was this taken out of context? No. So that's the leading candidate for the Democrats, folks. He says stuff every every day where you're like, what What did he say? Or, you know, he can't keep his thoughts together. So that's why Hillary Clinton is running. We're going to have more on Hillary Clinton and more on a very troubling story about life expectancy in the United States uh, coming to you in our second half of the show. Stay with us. This is American View, Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. Welcome back to American View on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. So good to be with you in this month of December. It's December 5th. Fun fact here, folks. Uh, you know what today is in Europe? You know, I came from Austria. We're going to talk about a little bit about that in this segment. Um, today is Krampus Day. Krampus is the day that comes before St. Nicholas when you put your shoes out um, for Christmas. Today uh, is the day where this, this very devil-like creature who uh, punishes the naughty kids um, and chases them down the streets with uh, wickers. And what they do is basically this, this they take these men that wear these costumes. It's like a combination of like a goat and a bull of some sort. And they uh, get quite intoxicated. And um, they run down the streets of Vienna or other cities. And they, you know, um, lightly hit the kids, I would say, and adults with, uh, you know, kind of pointed sticks and whatnot. Uh, it's kind of ridiculous. But that's, that's Krampus Day in, in Europe. So um, if you're out there listening, if you're driving kids to work today, just uh, tell your kids to, to not be naughty this Christmas season because you don't want Krampus coming after you. Only St. Nick, who brings the presents and the Clementines. So back to the news, though, folks. Uh, 
we were talking about Hillary Clinton in the last the last segment, and um, I want to share a little bit more from this interview before we talk about what I'm really most excited to be talking about today, which is Hillsdale's 175th anniversary, and some some saddening statistics that I think even demonstrate more so the need for this college today um, in the state of America as we see it. But first, let's hear uh, Hillary Clinton just completely misfumble uh, why she won because we already know this, but it's it's fun to listen um, and hear how she still doesn't understand. Excuse me, why she lost and why Donald Trump won. So this is her on the Howard Stern show. You know, I went to the inauguration of Donald Trump, which was one of the hardest days of my life. To be honest, I am consumed with that. (sighs) I was thinking Mm. about you that day. I was watching Mm. you more than I was watching Mm. Trump. First of all. I don't even know how you get past. You got three million more votes than the guy. I did, right. In my mind, you won the election. The Electoral College, I can't explain that. I don't under, I think it was for some farmer who felt uh, <laughs> that he was, his rights were going to be denied. But the majority of the people in the country voted for you. Right. You got the job done. Right. When you stand in there watching this guy, are, what the hell is going through your head? Are, are, are you just, I would imagine you were on antidepressants that day. <laughs> you know, how? here's how I felt about it. I mean, obviously, I was crushed. I was disappointed. And I was really surprised because I couldn't figure out what had happened. And you hadn't even written a losing speech when you lost that. No, you had only no, had victory in mind. No, and, and every, everything was pointed in that direction. So when he's going to be inaugurated, so I was going as a here, former. Before we continue here, I just want to make sure everybody caught that. Basically, you know, she still is not willing to recognize the fact that she did lose this election and she lost this election because precisely because she wouldn't go and, you know, campaign in places with like Wisconsin. And, you know, Howard Stern kind of glosses over this because, you know, if the popular vote, the, liberals still don't really understand the Electoral College. And for that, they should come to Hillsdale and get a, you know, or take an online course and, and learn about it. Um, but, you know, the, the whole concept of a, of a, of a republic um, just doesn't really matter. And, and this, I think, is very insulting to anybody that lives somewhere other than the very popular places for Hillary Clinton. If you live in Trump country, then you just heard Hillary Clinton basically say, yeah, your votes didn't really matter because I won all the votes in the cities. Now let's hear her completely missed the message of Trump's campaign, which makes me wonder how she plans on running if she still does not understand the true message that her opponent won on and that inspired so many to vote for him. Her first lady. Right. That was the reason I was there. I was no longer in the Senate. I, I was a secretaries of state don't usually attend. So I was But your go. sense of duty is yes. my husband was president, I was right. first lady, right. and this is what we say to the country. There's continuity. That is exactly how I felt. And and a lot of people said to me, Don't put yourself through that, don't go. And I said, Look, I ran for president because I love this country. I wanted to serve this country. I thought I would have been a really good president. I want him you would have to, been you would have been spectacular well, with I all hope your so. experience. Oh, yeah, I hope foreign so. Foreign affairs, yep. You know, I'd be crushing NATO, right? The Clinton Foundation, I bet, would be doing a lot better, and you know, she she would be, who knows, making thousands more emails, doing doing great. So clearly, Howard Stern is friendly to her, and um, we already know she has a big ego, but we'll gloss over that and keep going here. 
Bears? Yep. But Would I, you be crushing NATO right now? I don't think so. No, no, we need them. But so I, you're but, standing up there. So, so I'm, I, I said to myself, I said to everybody who talked to me about it, look, I hope he's going to be a better president than I think he will be. I'm worried about it, but I'm going to do everything I can. As I told him when I called him, you know, that terrible night. And oh, you said, did call him Oh, that I night. did. I said, you know, I said, look, um, you know, Donald, I want you to be a good president. I will do whatever I can to help you. So, you know, we're in uh, that period. Was he period. gracious or right. was he? So let's, let's be clear about one thing. Um, first off, every single record that we have of what went on in the Clinton campaign that night is not the calm you know, friendly Hillary Clinton that we are hearing describe who she was then. The, the record, the, the, what people have said about what happened to Hillary Clinton on election night is that she was furious. She was so angry. Let's not forget, she couldn't even make it on stage to give a concession speech. She was so flustered and could not believe that the American people had betrayed her uh, and not voted for her that she couldn't even make it out on stage to address her own supporters. And now she's going to tell us that the president, let's, let's hear what she says, the president was speechless. He was so shocked he couldn't, I mean, he, he could barely, barely form talk. He was as shocked as you. <laughs> right. He was more shocked than me, I think. Wow. Um, I think, you know, maybe, maybe that's true, but I, I just would caution anybody listening to this. I mean, come on. Like, the, the, first of all, there's no way to verify. The, the, Hillary Clinton knows when she says this, that it's her word against Donald Trump's. And the people that are going to believe her is it's either her, you know, he said or she said. There's absolutely nowhere to verify this. But it's it's funny because the way in which she's portraying these events, and I, I want to give her something, you know, I think she comes off much more natural in this interview. But judging on the Hillary Clinton that we've seen for the last 20 years, I just fail to understand, I fail to believe and buy um, the narrative that she's selling. And there's just also a lot of flaws. Let's continue to hear her describe the, the president's inauguration here. Shocked. Yeah, he was shocked. All right. And and so when I got there, you know, go ahead, get out there. You you put on the best face possible. And I'm, you know, Bill and I are sitting with George and Laura Bush. And then he started on that speech, which was so bizarre. And that's when I got really worried. I thought, wait a minute. If this isn't the, rational. It's not rational, but it's okay. also not. So that's all we're going to go there because she says some things after that that we can't play on the air here. As her on the Howard Stern, uh, Hillary Clinton on the Howard Stern show, everybody. But yeah, so Trump's inauguration speech was bizarre for her and irrational. Um, this is what concerns me: is that she clearly still does not understand how the president won, and it's clear to me that that basically she still thinks that Americans are deplorables for voting for them. That opinion has not changed. That's what shines through the smiles and the jokes um, and her talking about her first dates with Bill Clinton in this interview is, is she still does not understand even, even the, the inauguration speech President Trump gave. And I was there at the event. Um, it was a little bit further from the stage than Hillary Clinton. I'll give you that. But I, I, I remember the speech. It wasn't dark um, the way that they talk about it. Yeah, he talked about the problems in America's inner cities. But the, the, the message that he gave was very much the same message he gave on the campaign, that he was going to try and come to Washington, D.C., what he be, believed to be a place that had been filled of corruption um, and had failed to serve the interests of many of Americans to help the Americans, the forgotten Americans, and that he would serve the interests of the American people. 
So that's all we got on that point. So keep watching. You know, if you really want to vote for Hillary Clinton, you might get the chance to. But my guess is that most people out there don't really want that opportunity again. I still got my bets on Michelle Obama jumping into this race, but we'll see what happens there. So, you know, the New York Times has been going crazy, and so has the left about these numbers, very sad numbers about a life expectancy in the United States. Life expectancy for the first time um, in a long time, I think it was since World War II, or I don't think that's right. That's, that's suicide, I'm sorry. But uh, life expectancy has, has dropped in the United States. Um, 2010 to 2017, life expectancy dropped. And the reason it's dropping is not because old people are dying earlier. It's because um, middle-aged and younger Americans specifically are dying from things like uh, alcoholism, suicide, drug overdose. And uh, this is concerning a lot of people. The interesting thing is that when you look on the map, yeah, a lot of these people are coming from some of the the middle places of the country that um, economically have not been as fortunate and have not done as well um, as this economy has kind of transitioned and a lot of jobs have been created in America's cities and as American manufacturing jobs have left. Um, Another interesting group that you can look at and when when you're reviewing these numbers is that particularly there are some very disturbing trends about young men. Young men particularly in America, uh, young white men even, um, are not doing so well. Their life expectancy has gone down a lot. And um, in addition to that, I want to remind you, you know, something we've talked about on this show is that suicide, that's the fact that you know, since World War II, suicide is at its highest rate in America since World War II as well. And everybody is trying to figure out why this is and to offer their take. The New York Times came out. First, Paul Krugman wrote an article. Ben Shapiro talked a lot about this on his show earlier. And um, he basically said, well, we should, take a, we, should, we should look at the fact that, you know, most of these people to the low life expectancies, they come from states that voted for Trump. Thus, you know, it's because they don't have access to health care. That's the problem. And the people, the people in the cities and the liberal areas are doing just fine. Um, and Ben Shapiro, I'm going to credit him for this argument. He very cleverly uh, made the point, well, okay, if that's the case, then let's talk about, if you're going to say that, you know, the government policies in these areas are responsible for these deaths, let's not ignore the fact, you know, that these cities often, you know, also have their own big, massive problems. Uh, you know, you've got massive homeless crises on the coasts that are super disturbing. Um, and the income inequality in those places is astounding, uh, astoundingly higher than in other places in the country. So that, that argument, I think, kind of falls short and, and I think fails to get to the point. Um, the another article that came out a day after this uh, is by a guy called Farhad Manju. He is an opinion columnist for the New York Times. The title of this article in the New York Times is The American Healthcare Industry is Killing People. Subtitle, yes, transitioning to a more equitable system might eliminate some jobs, but the status quo is morally untenable. The point that this author makes in his article is simple, guys. It's that anybody that supports free market health care is responsible for the deaths of Americans across this country. It's morally reprehensible. It makes you deplorable. That any jobs that could be threatened um, by losing, uh, you know, private health insurance, that that's really selfish. Which, once again, a little bit ironic because these guys writing from New York City, um, writing from the New York Times, the 
The liberals that want this socialist health care imposed on everybody else are not the ones that are going to be dramatically affected by the, the changes in the economy. That would, of course, fall on those that are already suffering the most. Um, but, you know, they, they, they've laid it out for you. Look, there is no doubt in my mind that conservatives need to do a better job answering uh, the health care issue. Their arguments have failed. Every single time an election comes down to the polling question, if, if health care is the primary question uh, that the voters are concerned with, which is what Democrats always try to do before the election, that's what they did in 2018. Demo- Republicans don't do well. We need to fix the rising cost of health care in this country. Um, when I was at that event in D.C., I pressed Josh Hawley about that, and you know he, he spoke a lot about that, Senator Hawley. And uh, you know I think it's something that we need to talk about, but we also have to be frank. I mean, the, the plans that the Democrats are talking about today, a limiting private insurance, are more extreme than any things you see in even the European countries that have socialist single-payer health care. They're not even advocating for that. That would be insane to them. Um, and you know why? Because all the wealthy Europeans have private health insurance. <laughs> it's only the commoners that use the, the public insurance. And yeah, I, I live there. I saw what the effects were of that. And you know, for basic health care, it works fine. Um, but you know, if you get terribly sick, then it's not as advantageous. And we cannot remember that there are a lot more factors that go into this. The reality is that Canada, Europe, all these countries, the reason that they can have single-payer health care and, and it works somewhat effectively well is because America is footing the health care bill for these countries. Another reason that we should not let our European and Canadian neighbors rip us off. They don't honor our patents, but we honor theirs. They don't pay their amount of defense spending that, and we pay you know, more than double. So when Hillary Clinton, for instance, what we heard earlier, she said, what was her line? Like, she said, oh, well, we need NATO. The difference between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump's view of America is Donald Trump says, NATO needs us. Europe needs us. And if you're going to negotiate for America in any instance, you need to go in with that mentality. That's, that's the big difference. She still doesn't get that. So this is what the liberals are arguing. And I want to present another argument here. Um, what I want to say is that there is something else that's wrong with America. And it goes down to, uh, I think, a, a crisis of um, a feeling in this country that has come by a, a lack of fake faith, a breakdown of our institutions, um, and two competing views that are both just incompetent and not enough to satisfy the human soul. Uh, first, on the, you know, the left, we've seen this turn to socialism. And I think that you can understand this justification for the turn of socialism because people are dissatisfied with a country that simply names, you know, capitalism and materialism as as what the country uh, should be about and what the key to happiness is. The pursuit of happiness is in our Declaration of Independence. And the last thing I want to leave you with this semester is, is to question and to invite all of our listeners to question what that means. What is the highest form of happiness? Because I don't think that it is... Um, materialism. And I don't think conservatives or the American founding, you know, argues for that system. But the left, which has taken hold of our educational institutions, wants Americans to think that. They want to think that your choices are either socialism, where you are taken care of by the government, or you are left on the streets to fend for yourselves, that the goals of people that believe in a free market is simply to have more stuff. And that's not enough. And it's why you've seen conservatives, I think, in this post-Trump era start to question that orthodoxy, and they should. It's, it's true that, that capitalism and the free market has made our quality of life better. It has improved our living. 
but that's not enough. And I want to cite, you know, I think Hillsdale College, it, you, today is, yesterday was our 175th anniversary. Now more than ever, the country should be reminded why we need institutions like Hillsdale to teach what the Constitution and the Founding Fathers actually thought about freedom. What was actually required of us to preserve freedom and to attain the highest form of human happiness. I want to leave you guys with two documents today. The first one, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He left the Soviet Union. He was in the gulags there. He came to the United States and he gave a speech at Harvard called The World Split Apart. It was published in Imprimus. Um, it says a lot. He not only criticized the Soviet system of communism, but he also criticized some aspects of America that we had out of order, some stuff out of whack. He said that there was, quote, a loss of courage that may be the most striking feature which an outside observer notices in the West today. And he, and he makes the point, when the modern Western states were created, the following principle was proclaimed. Governments are meant to serve men, and man lives to be free and to pursue happiness. See the Declaration of Independence. Now, at last, during past decades, technical and social progress, progress has permitted the realization of such aspirations, the welfare state. Every citizen has been granted does desired freedom and material goods in such quantity of such quality as to guarantee in theory the achievement of happiness, but in the morally inferior sense which has come to, into being during those same decades. We do not understand, guys, is what I'm trying to say here, what really is the pursuit of happiness anymore. Um, and, and I think we need to, to understand that better. I want to read a little bit more from this speech in the last couple minutes we have here. Uh, I have spent all my life living under a communist regime, and I will tell you that a society without an objective legal scale is terrible, but a society with no other scale but the legal one, so no other set of rules but moral, is not quite worthy of man either. A society which is based on the letter of the law and never reaches any higher is taking very scarce advantage of the high level of human possibilities. The letter of the law is too cold and formal to have a beneficial influence in society. Whenever the tissue of life is woven of legalistic relations, there is an atmosphere of moral mediocrity paralyzing man's noblest impulses. Simply allowing the law to dictate what freedom is is not enough um, to allow one to pursue happiness. And and the last thing I want to share here about this speech... uh, is that, you know, today in America, and the point that he basically makes in this speech, is that while you see communism, you know, you saw communists and the tyranny of of those governments really, you know, do terrible things to the human spirit, we should also be concerned about what happens when uh, a self-governing people lose the virtue um, required um, to live in a a free self-governing society. And, and I fear that there is a, a lack of hope in our young people today because the way that I, I remember from, you know, even living overseas, um, I came from the globalist liberal area and now I was, you know, plopped right in the middle of Trump Heartland America. Um, and people, I, I would say, you know, when you go to a school like Hillsdale, people are happier here. We're one of the very fortunate few places where we're given the chance to pursue something good and noble and to understand the high aspirations. Um, we got to do better. Because to offer them nothing, to tell them that, you know, 
the history of America is simply bound and, you know, is, is glossed over with oppression. And then it meant nothing more than enriching some white, bold folks is simply a lie. Uh, so on this 175th anniversary of Hillsdale College, I would beg all of our listeners to think about why this college was founded. And it was to preserve freedom, to preserve the Constitution, to preserve this great country, and to use education to do that. Today, now more than ever, we need that. So thanks for listening to this edition of American View on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. My name is Ben Dietrich. It's been a pleasure being with you this semester. Have a great day. We'll see you in January.